Hello and welcome to Yumi and the Economy. As the country faces massive unemployment, Indian billionaires are making it big on the global stage. At the same time, there seems to be no place for employed women in India's growth story. While non-banking financial corporations continue their business unabated, banking high on the lack of regulations for fintechs. My name is Kavita Kabir and here is a weekly roundup of economy and finance. India is producing more billionaires than any other country. The International Monetary Fund on September 2nd announced that India had surged past the UK to become the fifth largest economy in the world. This was followed by the news that Indian billionaire Gautam Adani became the second richest person in the world. The rise of Indian billionaires comes at a time when the people are facing massive unemployment and economic uncertainties. The unemployment rate in rural India nearly doubled immediately after the coronavirus-induced lockdown. From 6.8% in the pre-pandemic quarter of January-March 2020 to 12.1% in April-June 2020, as per Oxfam India, the India Discrimination Report of Oxfam India released on Thursday revealed all these. In the urban areas, the report noted the rate of unemployment in the same period went up from 9% to 20.8%. Wage growth of households has declined from 8.2% between 2012 to 2016. to 5.7% between 2017 and 2021. The fact that India's billionaires are racing ahead as the economy faces a grim prospect testifies to the fact that it is common man who bear the brunt of economic slowdown. India's billionaires are immune to the economic unrest thanks to the government's abundant policy support. In a damning reflection of structural exclusion faced by half of India's population, Women's share in employment continues to decline drastically. The share of women employees in central public sector enterprises dropped to 9.35% in financial year 21. This was down from 10% in the last year. This clearly comes as a sign of widening gender gap in government-owned companies, according to the latest public enterprises survey. This is way below the all India female labor force participation rate. which stood at 25.1% according to the periodic labor force survey annual report for the period of July 2020 and June 2021 the oxfam india discrimination report 2022 indicates that labor force participation rate for women in india has rapidly declined from 42.7% in 2004-5 to a mere 25.1% in 2021 showing the withdrawal of women from the workforce despite a rapid economic growth in this period The World Economic Forum in its latest global gender gap report released in July ranked India 135 among 146 countries. These figures hide the social and political exclusion and discrimination faced by women throughout the country, which has become very mainstream and does not even ring alarm bells. Nor does the gender question inform most protests on employment. From calling the customers at odd hours using foul language, threatening to post their morphed pictures online, accusing them of rape, coming to their house and humiliating them, the tactics used by the recovery agents are not only illegal but also clearly a violation of human rights. From April 2021 to March 22 alone, RBI has received close to 8000 complaints about harassment of loan recovery agents. This is only a fraction of the total number of incidents. as many go unreported due to shame and public humiliation 
While the Hazaribagh incident has brought the problem to the fore once again, there have been demands for regulations of NBFCs to specifically address the problem of harassment by recovery agents to the regulators. Unfortunately, the merciless killing of Monica Kumari, who was also pregnant at the time, is not just a one-off incident of harassment by recovery agents. The steady rise in cases and incidents across the country is a proof of the ineffectiveness of the guidelines and circulars from RBI. It is time fintechs are brought under clear regulations. Is India gaining from Russian crude oil? Some estimates have suggested that since the Russian invasion of Ukraine in February this year, India gained rupees 35,000 crores by importing crude from Russia at a discount. In the month of August, Russian oil accounted for 12% of India's total oil purchase, against less than 1% before the invasion. With this spike, India has emerged as the second largest buyer of Russian crude oil after China. Similarly, in 2020, the oil prices crashed as the pandemic shut down the world. Taking advantage of low prices, the Union government filled up strategic reserves and refiners stored oil in ships, resulting in a gain of Rs 25,000 crores when prices rose again later. While it is good that some experts have estimated such large gains for India, what is disheartening is to note that people have continued to pay sky-high prices for fuels at the pumps and for LPG cylinders. All this while global crude prices fell by about 25% between May and September this year. Yet the union government has mopped up lakhs of crores in excise duty and cess in the same period. In addition, much of this gain has been made by giant corporations like Reliance, who saw record profit bookings in the quarter one of this financial year, and only a delayed attempt by the union government to tax their windfall gains in July, the rate of which has been reduced twice already in a span of less than three months. The other flip side of the Russian invasion has been the challenges faced by Gale in getting their share of LNG as per the contract signed in 2018. Gale has bought LNG in the spot market at twice the contractual price because Gazprom is happy to pay contractual fines rather than deliver the fuel. World's leading economists and experts come together to write an open letter to BlackRock and G20. More than 100 economists and academicians have urged international lenders to write off a significant slice of crisis-stricken Zambia's loans during financial restructuring talks this month. Zambia is seeking up to $8.4 billion in debt relief from major lenders, including private funds run by world's largest investment manager, BlackRock. This is to help put its public finances back in order. In the run-up to what are understood to be tense negotiations involving the Chinese, French and British governments, the anti-poverty charity Debt Justice said that only a major debt write-off could save the Zambian economy from complete collapse. Led by Jeffrey Sech and Jayati Ghosh, the 100-plus global group of economists and experts said in a letter to the creditors' negotiating committee that Zambia should be given a waiver from debt interest payments due until 2023. Earlier this month, the International Monetary Fund approved a $1.3 billion loan to the country, which defaulted on its $17.3 billion of external debt after a collapse in its public finances during the pandemic. Funds run by BlackRock are among the largest private owners of Zambia's bonds holding $220 million. 
some are worth almost half the value they were sold at. Eurobonds worth $1 billion that mature in 2024 plunged 6.3% in the last week to less than 56% of their face value. Center for Financial Accountability is hosting a public event titled India's G20 Moments, Notes from the Margins in New Delhi. India's G20 presidency is round the corner and is garnering all the media blitz and attention. To add more voice on the matter, CFA has been working on a comic book titled Gang of 20 for the past one year. The work is now complete and will be released at a public event to be held on 8th October 2022 at the India International Centre. Created by artist Orijit Sain and Samarth and edited by Sonal Raghavanshi, the Gang of 20 is going to be an impressive read. The public event will start with a keynote address, followed by the book launch, conversations with the comic book creators and panel discussions with Young Comics. Register for the event with the link in the description box. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more news and analysis, go to our website www.senfa.org. And keep listening to Yumi and the Economy.